Good morning. The scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 16, and it's verses 12 through 15. So if you'll open your Bibles, and you can follow along as I read. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray now that God will help us. Our Father, we're so grateful for this time that you have given us in your word, and I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would come and instruct us. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to the heart of the ministry of the Spirit in our lives so that we will surrender to that ministry. And I thank you, Father, for what you'll do in Jesus' mighty and matchless name we pray. Amen. Several years ago, a Christian brother who used to attend this church asked if he could meet with me and uh, share some things that were on his heart. And so we met at the church office, and he began to tell me that he was grieved and probably even a little perturbed, which I think underneath it was a little bit of hurt, that I did not make more of the Holy Spirit in the public teaching of, of glory of Christ. He pressed me hard to say more about the Spirit, and he gave me many reasons why. And when he was done sharing his heart, the first thing that I said to him was, first of all, that I agreed with him. And the reason I agreed with him is because I love the Holy Spirit. And when I say that I love the Holy Spirit, I do not mean that I love the theological subject of the Holy Spirit. And I do not mean that I simply love his gifts and his benefits. What I mean is that I love him. The Holy Spirit has been my constant companion, my closest companion. Since October of 1986, when I came to know Jesus Christ, he has been at work in my life, and surely he was at work in my life before that, causing me to come to know Christ. He has done so much for me, beloved. I could never put it into words, and I could never properly thank him, worship him for all that he has done. I love the Holy Spirit, and I long to speak about him more. I long to exalt him as God and I long to call his people to worship him. But herein lies the challenge. As a preacher who is deeply committed to teaching through the Bible on its own terms, I have noticed that the Bible rarely speaks directly about the Holy Spirit. Have you noticed that? It seems that the Holy Spirit enjoys, loves, taking his place in the background and exalting the work of the Father through the Son. The truth of the matter is that there are only a handful of passages in the entire Bible that speak directly about the Holy Spirit. And as much as I long to talk more about him and to exalt him in his ministry in our midst, I actually think it's best to honor him in the way that the Scripture honors him. In other words, I think it's best to give him a public place to the extent that the Scripture gives him a public place. It might be good, it certainly is good, to study 
specifically, the person and work of the Holy Spirit on your own or in a Bible study or in a community group or something like that. There's nothing at all wrong with that. But here on a Sunday morning when we're working through books of the Bible and the, and the main aim is just to say what the Bible says with passion and hopefully with some relevance, I think we ought to speak about the Spirit as much as the Bible speaks about the Spirit and in the way that the Bible speaks about the Spirit. Now, I I did not say that to my brother back then to rebuke him, and I do not say that now to rebut him, because I still would say to you, I agree with him. I ache, I long to exalt the Holy Spirit. I really do. I love him. I love his work. If he were not at work among us right this second, none of you would be sitting in this room feasting on the things of God. You would have no desire. You would have no power. There would be no lasting effects in your lives. We are desperately in need of him. And we get to enjoy his fellowship every day of our lives through faith in Jesus Christ. I love him and I long to exalt him. But again, I think that the best course of action is to trust the Bible and speak about the Spirit when the Bible speaks about the Spirit and in the way that the Bible speaks about the Spirit. John 16, 7 through 15, is one of the few passages in the Bible that speaks directly about the Holy Spirit. And I want to suggest to you that it may be the most important passage in the Bible about the Holy Spirit because it is Jesus Christ himself who is speaking. It is Jesus himself who is revealing certain things to us about the Holy Spirit. In fact, I would go so far as to say that we ought to read everything else the New Testament especially says about the Holy Spirit in light of these four verses, I think that John 16, 12 to 15 is the key to understanding the ministry of the Holy Spirit with regard to the church, at least. You'll notice in verse seven that Jesus promised the disciples that he would send the Spirit. Then in verses eight through 11, Jesus addresses the ministry of the Spirit with regard to the world. In verses 12 through 15, please notice, he is now speaking about the ministry of the Spirit with regard to the church. And I say to you again that those four verses, 12, 13, 14, 15, I think are the key to understanding all of the Holy Spirit's ministry in the life of the church. And I hope that by the end of this message you'll understand why I think that, and I'm praying that you'll be persuaded by that. Being persuaded by this will be an anchor to our souls. It will not close us off to the movement of the Spirit in our midst. It will actually open us up because we will have an anchor. We will understand what he's really up to in the midst of the church. Although the 11 disciples who were gathered with Jesus in that upper room were absolutely stunned to hear that he would soon be leaving them, Jesus labored to help them understand that his departure was good news for them because it meant that he would send the Holy Spirit to them. It meant that he would give them the helper to empower them to do everything he had been teaching them, to call upon the name of the Father and bear much fruit in the world, to love one another with a self-sacrificial love, which is not a normal, natural thing that we can do in our flesh, to interface with the world and to even receive the hatred of the world. The Spirit was going to come to the disciples, and more than that, indwell inside the disciples and work out the will of God in their lives. And so even though it might have been counterintuitive, the truth is that the departure of Jesus was actually good news. It was exceedingly good news. 
And while it was true that the disciples would soon be hated by the world and suffer many things at the hands of the world, including death, the power to endure these things would be found in the Spirit and not in themselves. The disciples would indeed suffer in their flesh, even as anyone who truly wants to do the will of God in this world will suffer in their flesh today. But we do not have to bear the weight of that suffering in our flesh. Rather, we depend upon the Holy Spirit, and he gives us all the grace and empower to endure the things that he causes us to endure. Again, I say to you that both then and now, the physical departure of Jesus from the world was and is exceedingly good news because it means the Spirit has been given to all who believe in Jesus Christ. Be that as it may, you'll see in verse 12 that Jesus felt that the disciples had probably heard enough from him at the moment. He said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus understood that people can take, only take so much in at once. Isn't that right? We all have a saturation point. And I think the disciples had reached that saturation point, and Jesus saw that. More profoundly, though, I think he knew that without the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, they would not be able to understand what he had already told them, much less if he continued to tell them more. And so he had said enough to get the ball rolling, but it was time to cease, it was time to wait for the coming of the Spirit. Jesus knew that after his suffering and crucifixion and resurrection and ascension and enthronement at the right hand of God, he would send the helper who would work to give them insight, who would in fact teach them all the things that Jesus had stopped short of teaching them. So again, in his wisdom, he said, it is enough. Right now, you cannot bear more. And so then he continued. Let me read for us again verses 13 through 15. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. With these words, Jesus reveals to us at least four things about the Holy Spirit. And I pray that these will be very instructive to us as we talk about his person. We're not now talking about a subject. We're talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. First, notice that for the third time, Jesus refers to him as the Spirit of truth. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, I think this title implies that like Jesus, the Spirit himself is the essence of truth. It is not merely that the Spirit lives by and proclaims the truth. Please take this into your hearts. Like Jesus, he is the truth. He is the essence of truth. Whatever truth is, it's a person. Fundamentally, it's a person. But then his title does also imply that he lives by the truth. He is holy. He is righteous in all that he does. He lives by the truth and nothing but the truth. And because that is the case, he teaches the truth and nothing but the truth. We can trust, profoundly trust, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is wholly characterized by truth. In fact, when we think Holy Spirit, the first thing we ought to think is truth. I think often when the Spirit is talked about in the life of the church, the first thing we think about is His power and spiritual gifts. What we ought to think immediately is Holy Spirit, truth. He is not the Spirit of the gifts. 
He is the spirit of truth, who then, of course, gives gifts. But in his character, he is characterized by truth. Second, Jesus teaches us that whereas the ministry of the spirit with regard to the world is to convict and convince and expose them so that some of them will be saved, the ministry of the spirit with regard to the people of God is to guide us into all the truth so that we'll be sanctified by the truth. Now the word here for guide is as simple in Greek as it is in English. It just means to lead someone in a particular way. But in that, in that time, this word was most often used to talk about teachers teaching their disciples and leading them into a way. And it was not merely about leading them into the intellectual understanding of things. It was about leading them to think in a certain way, to have certain affections, and also walk in a certain way. It was to guide them into a way of life and not merely into a way of thinking. So when the Apostle Philip was told by the Holy Spirit to go to a place and go there quickly, he obeyed, and there he saw an Ethiopian, a man who was a eunuch, a man dedicated to the things of God, reading the book of Isaiah. The Apostle Philip went up and asked him and said, do you understand what you're reading? And the man said, how can I unless someone guide me? Same word, guide me. And then what Philip did was he sat down next to that eunuch, to that Ethiopian man, and he opened up to him the word of God. And I don't just mean opening up the physical book, but he opened up to him the meaning. God used the apostle Philip to give this Ethiopian man a revelatory experience so that he saw the glory of Christ and was saved. He was the first African convert. And with that, he went back to Ethiopia and began to spread the gospel. I don't know if you understand this, but the Ethiopian church to this day is one of the most ancient churches on the earth. They have been seeing the glory of Christ revealed for decades, for centuries of time because of the guiding ministry of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Philip. In a similar way, the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit with regard to the church is to come intimately close to his people. In fact, he indwells us. And then like Philip, he opens up the word of God to us. The same spirit that breathed out the word also causes the word to come alive so that we gain sight and insight into the word. And when he opens the word to us, you know what he's really doing? He's revealing the beauty of Jesus to us. This is what his life in the church, this is what his ministry is about. This is what it means to say that he guides us into, quote, all the truth. That phrase does not necessarily mean that he shares with us everything that could possibly be shared or that he teaches us every intellectual idea that could possibly be taught. What it means to us is that he reveals to us the fullness of who Jesus is, of what Jesus has said and did, and of what Jesus has commanded of those who love him. It means that he withholds nothing from us but shares in everything with us. And again, when I say everything, I mean primarily the person of Jesus. I mean primarily the words and the works of Jesus, the commands of Jesus that come out of his being. The truth is multifaceted, it's varied. In some ways, it's complex. But the heart of truth, the nature of truth, is singular and simple. It is God himself. And when the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth, he is guiding us into the intimate knowledge of God. 
Let me pause here for a second and just point out that isn't it amazing that even when the Bible speaks directly about the Holy Spirit, it takes about that long before you're speaking about the Father and the Son. The Spirit loves to exalt the work of the Father through the Son. Now please notice that Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all what? All the truth. Notice the word the. Sometimes the word the is just there. Sometimes the word the is very important, and here it's very important. This is what they call a definite article, because when the word the is used, it's referring to something definite and specific. If I was to ask somebody, please bring me a chair, then you would just assume any old chair here would do. I'm not talking about any specific chair, but if I was to ask somebody, would you please bring me the chair, then you know that I'm speaking about something specific, and hopefully you would know what I was talking about so that I would get the chair that I wanted. The word the defines something. And here, Jesus uses this word very intentionally. The Holy Spirit is guiding us into all the truth, something specific, something definite. It has become popular in our day to speak of my truth and to speak of your truth. And the idea seems to be there that our perception of truth is equal to the truth and that everybody's perception of truth is absolutely equal, that any truth is equal to all truth. But that is not the teaching of the Bible. And it's not even logical if you stop to think about it. There has to be something greater than us all that defines everything that has to do with everything. It simply has to be. And the Bible says, therefore, that God's truth is the only truth that's equal to the truth. And the Spirit's work in the life of the church, beloved, is to escort us into the fullness of the truth as God sees it. That's what he is up to. His design and desire in the life of this church and of any church in the world and in the history of the world is to escort us into all the truth. Third thing, Jesus teaches us that the Holy Spirit does not speak on his own authority, but by implication we can fill in the blank here. He speaks on the basis of the authority of the Father and also of the Son. This to me is a very surprising teaching because the Holy Spirit is who? The Holy Spirit is God, right? The Holy Spirit is the one who was there hovering over the waters of the earth at the dawn of creation. The Holy Spirit is the one who would come upon the people of God in the days of old and lead the people of Israel into their destiny. Anytime the Bible talks about in the Old Testament the Spirit of God coming upon the people, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. It was He who guided God's people into their destiny. It was the Holy Spirit who descended and remained upon Jesus Christ and empowered Jesus Christ to say all that He said and do all that He did. Can you imagine saying to someone that you were the one who gave Jesus the power to do what he did and say what he said? Who would you have to be in order for that to be true of you? This is true of the Spirit, which implies that he is God, fully God, and therefore deserving of worship right along with the Father and the Son. And yet, Jesus says to us that with regard to his ministry on the earth, he does not speak on his own authority. As surprising as this is, I think Jesus is simply saying to us that even as Jesus humbled himself and condescended to come to the earth and submit himself to the words and wisdom of the Father, 
so that he only said what the Father gave him to say, and he only did what the Father showed him to do, in the same way the Holy Spirit would live like that. The Spirit would live in full submission to the Father and the Son. In many ways, I think Jesus is saying, the Spirit is going to take my role in my absence. He will not do his own will. He will do the will of the Father. He will do the will of the Son. Beloved, to me, this is a stunning truth that the Holy Spirit, who is God, gladly lives in humble submission. You want to talk about giving dignity to submission? There's no greater example of that than this, that the Spirit of God is pleased, absolutely happy to do the will of the Father and of the Son and nothing but the will of the Father and of the Son. In submission to them, he aims to guide us into all the truth. That's what his ministry is about. And that leads us to the fourth thing. Look at verse 14. The ultimate aim of the Holy Spirit's ministry in the life of the church is to glorify Jesus in the eyes of his people. Again, please notice how fast we went from a focus on the Spirit to a focus, a specific focus on Jesus. His whole function is to exalt the glory of Jesus Christ in the eyes of his people. The way that he does this is by taking what belongs to Jesus and declaring it or teaching it to his people. And what belongs to Jesus? Not much. It's just everything that belongs to the Father. That's all. Look at verse 15. Jesus said, All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will teach it to you. He will massage it into your lives until you get it. The profound fact of the matter, beloved, is that God the Father has invested all he has and all he is into the Son. He has withheld nothing from the Son. That's enough to think about right there. But now think about this. God the Son takes all that is his and he imitates the Father by investing all that he has and all that he is into us, into the church. And he does that. He invests the fullness of himself into the church through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is what he does, beloved. This is his aim. This is his goal. This is what it means to say that the Spirit guides us into all the truth. It's into all that is Jesus and all that Jesus possesses. So we can say this. The heart of the Spirit's ministry with regard to the church is this. He aims to glorify Christ by leading us into all the truth. That's what he is up to. If you're a note taker, you should write that down. The heart of the Spirit's ministry with regard to the church is that he, got, he glorifies Christ by guiding us into all truth. That is what he is up to in our midst. And in the middle of that, I hope you can see the profound truth that sinners like us, made saints by the grace of God in Christ, are actually being enfolded into the wisdom and joy of the Trinity as everything that belongs to the Father and the Son is invested in us by the guiding ministry of the Holy Spirit. That is just stunning, beloved. Stunning. It is no sin to think about and speak about the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit in the lives of his people. But when we exalt those things to the highest place, we misunderstand and misconstrue the nature of his ministry. 
The heart of his ministry is to glorify Christ by guiding us into all truth. If our Father desired to give me the gift of healing so that I could pray for people who were sick and they would be healed, I would gladly open myself up to that gift and I would be happy in God. But I will also tell you that I can live happily without that gift. If I was somewhere in the world preaching and the Father thought it necessary to give me the gift of a tongue of, of, of ease in an unknown language or a language unknown to me so that he could be glorified and people could be made happy in him, I would gladly open myself up to that gift and I would give thanks to God, but I can also live happily without that gift. If our Father would be pleased to use my ministry of preaching and writing and teaching to win 100,000 souls to Christ, beloved, I would submit myself to that. I would receive it. I would go anywhere in the world, do anything he told me to do, say anything he told me to say to accomplish his goal for my life. But if the Lord is pleased to allow me to faithfully labor over his word and preach it on its own terms with all the passion that I can muster for all my life and I only see a handful of people come to faith in Christ, I'm okay with that. I'm happy with that. You see, here's the thing. If I receive all of these gifts, they cannot make me the richer. They cannot. They cannot add anything to me at all. If I receive none of these gifts, they cannot, their absence cannot make me the poorer. They cannot take anything away from me at all. You know why? Because in Jesus Christ, I am an inheritor of everything that belongs to God the Father and that belongs to the Son. He is investing it all in us by the ministry of His Spirit, beloved. All that belongs to God belongs to us by the grace of God in Christ. This doesn't mean that we are owners, that sort of equals with God, but you know what it does mean? That we are not excluded from anything that belongs to God by God. Of course, he has wisdom about when he reveals certain things to us or shares certain things with us or allows us to enjoy certain things that are in his possession. He is a wise father, but please hear the word of God, not the word of your preacher. The word of God is that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to guide you into all that belongs to Jesus. And all that belongs to Jesus is equal to all that belongs to the Father. Beloved, there's nothing wrong with talking about the gifts of God and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But those things pale in comparison to the gift of the Holy Spirit himself. To the gift of Christ himself. To the gift of the Father himself. His primary aim in our midst is to glorify Christ by leading us into all truth. And I hope, I hope that you can see how important that is. Now, I want to bring something to your attention in verses 12 to 15 that's very, very important for us to understand. Otherwise, we're going to be uh, misguided, and we might end up in a number of imminent dangers, which I think actually there's a number of churches in our country and even in our city that are probably um, susceptible to these dangers. Specifically, when Jesus first spoke these words in that upper room, he was primarily addressing the 11 disciples that were in the room with him, plus Paul, who later become, became an apostle along with these 11. So we can say, generally speaking, that at first, the intention of Jesus was to apply verses 12 to 15 to the apostles. We really need to understand this. Because when he says to the apostles, that the spirit of truth is gonna come and guide you into all truth. What he is saying is that 
The Spirit is going to bring them into remembrance of all that Jesus said and did so that they could declare and record the authoritative teaching of the church for all time and eternity. He was promising to speak to the whole church through these 12 people and to solidify, to give an anchor to the church and to define what is meant by the truth. Surely the writings of the apostles do not contain everything that could possibly be said about God. You remember that at the end of his gospel, even John said, listen, if I wrote about everything, the whole world could not contain all the books. That may seem like an exaggeration to you, but when we get to that part of John, I hope to show you that that is not an exaggeration. The Bible, as we have it, does not contain everything that can be said about God, but it contains everything that needs to be said about God. It is sufficient. It gives us everything we need to know God fully and to know him truly. And the spirit of truth was at work in the lives of the apostles in a way that he would never work in the lives of anyone else ever again. There will be no new revelations because there's no need for that, beloved. There's simply no need. So first of all, we need to hear verses 12 to 15 applied to the apostles. But having said that, I must add that Jesus also had his later disciples in mind, including everyone in this room who truly believes in Jesus and is following him. Whereas the apostles would be guided into all truth so that they could authoritatively articulate truth for the life of the church, the church, the church throughout the history of the world is now guided by the Holy Spirit into all the truth that has already been revealed. There's no need for new revelation. We have everything we need. And so now we gain the same Holy Spirit that belonged to the disciples and the, to the apostles. We don't get a second-rate Holy Spirit. We get the Holy Spirit in fullness. And we get the same ministry. He is also determined to guide us into all the truth. But now the terms are a little bit different. He does that in our lives through the writings that have been revealed. As we open up the Word, He opens up our eyes to the glory of Jesus Christ so that we have fellowship even with the apostles and much more profoundly with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit himself. Now to help us understand why this is important for our time, I want to go back to another time and I want to read for you some things that John Calvin said about this because I think they're very helpful and very instructive for us. So in his day, the Catholic Church went to this text to make a very strong point so that they could justify many things that they were doing and saying and teaching. Here's what Calvin quotes from the Catholic Church as to what they say about John 16, 12 to 15. Please listen to this carefully because this is still the position of the Catholic Church today, some 500 years later. Christ promised the apostles new revelations and therefore we must not abide by the scripture alone for something beyond the scripture is here promised by Jesus to his followers. I hope you're hearing that well. The Catholic Church is saying that Jesus is promising to, speak, promising to speak to his people beyond the Scripture. Now there's a sense in which they're right. Because Jesus had just said to the disciples that there's other things that I need to tell you that I'm not going to tell you now. And then immediately he says the Spirit's going to come and teach you. And obviously he has in mind those things that he decided not to teach at the moment. There is a sense in which the Spirit would bring the disciples into remembrance so that they could record the authoritative teaching of the church. But that is a different matter from arguing that 
Jesus is hereby saying that the Spirit will continually give new revelation to one generation after another until Jesus Christ comes. That, in fact, is a tragic thing and perhaps even a blasphemous thing. Now, I do not use the word blasphemy lightly, but I want you to consider what Calvin had to say about this. He wrote in response, whoever imagines that anything must be added to the apostles' doctrine as if it were imperfect and only half finished, not only accuses the apostles of dishonesty, but blasphemes against the Holy Spirit himself. If the doctrines which the apostles committed to writing in the New Testament had proceeded from mere learners or persons imperfectly taught, in other words, if this was just a matter of one generation teaching another and and knowledge always growing and always changing, then, Calvin said, in addition to their writings would not be superfluous. It would not be too much. In fact, we would expect their writings to be amended uh, in one generation after another. But now, as it is, Their writings may be regarded as the perpetual records of that revelation which was promised and given to them so that nothing can be added to them without doing grievous injury to the Holy Spirit. When we add to the revelation of God through Jesus Christ, beloved, we change the gospel. And this is why I'm telling you it's very important to understand The verses 12 to 15 apply to the apostles in one way that they do not apply to the rest of the church. And that way is in the sense of authoritative, written down revelation. That was done once for all time, and that season is over. Now the Holy Spirit guides us into all the truth through the things that have already been revealed. And to be sure, the Bible says in Isaiah that those who get the gift of the Spirit will hear the Spirit whisper to them, go to the left and go to the right. In other words, they will have the Spirit's guidance in their life. But this is not a matter of new revelation. This is a matter of the Spirit shepherding God's people through what has already been revealed. What really needs to be revealed in an authoritative way has already been revealed, and the season for that revelation is over. And so Calvin adds this, to me, very strong powerful words. Therefore, by a false pretense of the Spirit, in other words, by falsely applying to the Spirit things that the Spirit did not do, the world was bewitched to depart from the simple purity of Christ. As soon as the Spirit is separated from the Word of Christ, the door is open to all kinds of delusions and imposters. Boy, that's a powerful word. I'm not one who thinks that John Calvin was right about everything he preached and taught, but I think on this point he's absolutely on the mark, and I could not agree with him more. The ministry of the Spirit in the lives of the apostles forever solidified the fundamental teachings of the church so that nothing will ever be added to them, period and end of story. There are times when I've done teachings about this, and if you're interested in why there's no need for further revelation, I encourage you to go to our website and listen to the messages on the first part of of Hebrews chapter one, because I spell it out there pretty clearly. But there will be no further revelation. The apostles did not teach everything that can be taught, but they taught everything that we needed to be taught. And so when Calvin says, that as soon as the Spirit is separated from the Word, the door is open to all kinds of delusions and imposters. Beloved, we need to take that seriously because we live with that danger today. How many churches do you know about that make much of the Holy Spirit and much of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and there is no anchor in that church at all? Or the anchor is weak? 
fact, Ethan and I were talking the other day. I was surprised to hear him say, but I think he's dead right that if you'll notice that the churches who talk so much about the Holy Spirit, they rarely talk about Jesus. They got it backwards. They have it backwards. They've set aside the Word of God for new revelations, and what we need is the stable, anchoring Word of God. And if we will grasp on to this central ministry, that His heart is to escort us into all truth and therefore glorify Christ, if we will embrace that, then, beloved, we will not squelch His power among us. We'll give release to His power among us. He will be pleased to empower a people who are joining with Him to glorify Christ by the truth, period and end of story. I hope we can see that what I said at the beginning of this message is true, that I think Jesus' words in John 16, 12 to 15 are the most important words in the Bible with regard to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. They are the anchor, they are the key, they are the lens through which we should read every other passage in the Bible that talks about the ministry of the Spirit in the life of the church. Doing this will keep us focused on the right things and it will keep us balanced in all things. The Spirit came to glorify Jesus by leading us into all truth and I pray that we will rejoice in that truth, not just understand it, but actually rejoice in it. So given all that, given that this is his aim in our lives here today, how can we work to take most advantage, utmost advantage, of what the Spirit wants to do in our lives and in the life of this church? Let me just offer three things to you. First of all, since Jesus' words are a promise, I think we need to receive them as a promise. The Lord did not say that the Spirit might come and the Spirit might guide us into all the truth. He said that the Spirit will do this. And sometimes it might feel to us like life is just too difficult and, and finding time is just too hard and we might wonder if the Spirit is at work in our lives. And what I'm saying is, beloved, we need to hear this as a promise and receive it as a promise. The Spirit aims to guide us into all truth and from what I understand, God always accomplishes that for which He aims. Amen? This is His desire. The Spirit always gets what He desires. It is His promise. It is our destiny. We will be guided into all truth. Given that this is his aim, given that this is his promise, the second thing I would say is that he's also given us everything we need to grasp onto this promise and take advantage of his ministry in our lives. Peter wrote this in 2 Peter 1.3. He said, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. It is challenging in our exceedingly busy world to put God first and to love him most. It's challenging given everything we have to think about in our lives to really surrender ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit. But what I'm trying to say now is not only has he promised that he's gonna do this in us, but he has given to us all the tools that we need to take advantage of his ministry in our lives. So we ought to control everything that we can control and put him first and for what we can't control, we just need to trust him in all things and know, know that he's provided to us everything that is needed to accomplish this aim. Jesus will be exalted in our eyes as the Spirit guides us into all truth. This is going to happen. It's his promise, it's our destiny, period. Finally, I wanna encourage you as you open up the Word each day to give this a try for maybe a week or two weeks. I want to suggest that you ask yourself three questions. I want to suggest that after you read the Bible, 
just in light of what we've just been meditating upon, I, I wanna suggest that you talk with the Spirit about these things. And if you don't have the time in the midst of your quiet time to talk about these things with him there, then talk about them in the car. Turn the radio off, forget the podcast for the moment, just talk to the Lord. Talk to him at work. Talk to him while you're going about your life. Talk to him while you're in between taking care of the kids and stuff. If it doesn't work in your quiet time, process these three questions until you get an answer. First of all, ask him, how has the Holy Spirit glorified Christ in my eyes today? Now sometimes he shows us stunning things. Sometimes he shows us simple things. We shouldn't worry about the details. We should know this. His aim in our life, every day of our lives, is to exalt Jesus in our eyes. So let's ask the question, how did he do that today? How did he help me to see the beauty of Jesus? And do not rest until you find an answer. It's okay if your answer is simple. You know what I saw today? Jesus is patience. What I saw today is that Jesus is gentle. That's a revelation of the glory of Christ, beloved, and it's enough. Ask him every day. How did the Spirit help me to see the glory of Jesus today? Question number two. What insight has the Holy Spirit given to me, given me into what Jesus has said and done? Now Peter says that it was Jesus who was at work in the hearts and lives of the Old Testament prophets as they wrote what they wrote. So everything in the Bible is ultimately traced back to Christ and it's ultimately focused on Christ. Every word of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus. So in everything you read in the Bible, Right now, I'm reading in several places. I'm reading in Psalms, I'm reading in Proverbs, I'm reading in Judges, I'm reading in Galatians. Everywhere I read in the Bible, the Spirit is speaking to me and teaching me about the words and ways of Jesus. So ask the question until you get a specific answer. What has the Holy Spirit shown me today, revealed to me today about the truth of Jesus' words, about the truth of Jesus' works, about the truth of Jesus' ways. And if your answer is simple, so be it. Simple is good. Simple is very good. But ask the question until you find an answer. Number three, ask him, how has the Holy Spirit strengthened my hope for the future? Or to put it in the words that Jesus used, how has the Holy Spirit declared to me the things that are to come? Now, the thing about the things that are to come is that there are portions of the Bible, really all throughout the Bible, that speak of future things. I think there are even portions of Genesis that are speaking about things that still have yet to be fully completed. And certainly in the Psalms and in the prophets and in letters like 2 Thessalonians and and the book of Revelation, there are things that are future-oriented. But I want to suggest to you that even when Jesus has you contemplating things he did in the past, he is still preparing you for how to envision the future. My spiritual father and and mentor of many years, Doug Goodnow, used to say to me all the time, remember what the Lord has done and trust him for what he will do. Look to the past to prepare yourself for the future. Everything the Spirit is teaching you is in part designed to prepare you to have faith for the things that are to come. So ask him the question until you get an answer. How has the Holy Spirit strengthened my hope for the future through Jesus Christ? Beloved, I pray that you will take to heart what I have said and really meditate upon this. The heart of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church is to glorify Jesus by guiding us into all the truth through the written word of God. That's what he's up to in our midst. And let me pray now that he will help us to cooperate with his work among us. Our Father, 
I am profoundly grateful for your clear teaching to us this morning, and I pray that we would receive it, not only in our minds, but in our way of life. I pray, Father, that we would embrace these things. I pray that we would walk by these things. I pray that we would be open recipients to the ministry of the Spirit, and I pray that you would profoundly work in our lives while we're thinking directly about this. Lord, prove your word to us, not just by intellectual means, but by applying it to our lives, each of us. Nourish us by your word and by your spirit. Guide us into all truth, I pray. In the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, whom you love to glorify, we pray. Amen.